Hi, I'm Coco. Hi, I'm Hannah. And we, and we are, are the Social Girls. Or maybe not. Welcome back to an all-new episode of the Social Girls podcast. Today we're talking to the Queen of Marketing, Gemma. Gemma has a rich history in working for not-for-profit organizations and especially in the marketing field. Most recently was the general manager of the Zara Foundation. We're about to chat about all things marketing, working in not-for-profit space, burnout, and Gemma's next adventure. Welcome, Gemma, to the Social Girls podcast. Woohoo! Thank you. Thank you for inviting Welcome. me. It's very exciting. Well, we're really <laughs> happy to have you on. <laughs> I'm glad I could come and chat with you guys. It's really nice to talk to young people. I enjoy being called young sometimes, so that's good. I mean, I use a lot of night cream. <laughs> I have a theory that acne girls have the best like skincare when they're older because we had to yeah. be so diligent at like 10 years old. So we've had yeah. a skincare routine from like 10. So when we're yeah. older, we look the best. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you've got all the all the um, sunscreen, all the moisturiser, you know, all the tri- tips and tricks. And yeah. then the girls who are out baking and doing their... Uh, Way too much time in the sun, they're going to be the leather handbags for. I mean, pale acne child. I think I'm winning. Pale, beautiful skin. Yeah. (laughs) That is me. I can't, if I just go outside to put some washing on the line, sometimes I will get burnt. So (laughs) that's that's how pale I am. So I really know what you're talking about here. As a woman who's rising through the ranks and forging a great career, how do you deal with gender stereotypes? So you've had an awesome career. Oh, thank you. That's very um, nice of you to say. So I think even at 40-something, we'll never reveal the age, um, it's actually interesting to think that someone else thinks I've had a really good career because I still think there's so much ahead of me. I feel like a 30-year-old stuck inside a 42-year-old's body. Well, I was writing uh, out dot points for the podcast and I was like, I retained a lot of information. You've done so many cool things. Yeah, thank you. Oh, look, it's been, um, for me, um, the one thing with gender stereotypes, and I guess I found this um, in the bigger the organisation, the more you have to deal with the, that sort of gender stereotype issue. Um, in the smaller organisations, I think it's actually easier to, to forego that sort of um, anything to do with gender because it's all, it, it feels a bit more equal in smaller organisations. But once you get to the bigger organisations and the bigger corporates, um, you sort of start to run into those issues. And it's been like for me, I haven't had any children, so it hasn't been as tough for me. And I actually watched some of the people that I went through, um, the bigger corporations such as RAA and places like that, that have had children. And then they just need the flexibility to come back and um, not work full time, but they still want to use their brain and be working. Um, And it's really difficult. Some people... So a lot of organisations talk the talk, but they don't really walk the walk. Yeah. Um, so I guess for me, the way that I dealt with that is is just um, engaging with smaller organisations and actually finding a place where I felt that gender stereotypes weren't even an issue. So I just sort of mm. sat with that social sector. And um, and for me, that that's sort of how I got around that. Um, I think, I, I truly think, like I guess I, sometimes I find myself as a bit of a feminist, but I truly think that that young men have greater opportunities in the corporate world. And so for me, um, as a more mature woman now, um, it's really important for me to um, boost up younger women and surround myself with really smart young women. And when I stepped into the Don Dunson Foundation, that was certainly the case. And I was, you know, so pleased and proud to be able to um, be one of the leaders of that organisation where we had 10 young women, all 30 and under, who, and there was just no bitchiness, there was no 
fighting. You know, there was the occasional clash, but that's just life in general. Um, And I loved that, you know. I loved that there was, you know, young, strong, independent and really, um, like, I can see all of you, you know, and Coco was one that was in our team and I can just see all of you becoming CEOs and I'm like, 100% here for it so yeah I hope that answers that question for you yeah absolutely at DDF it was such an awesome culture in the beginning I've said this a few times on on the podcast that having our team with you and and David our our former CEO it was such an awesome team like that was my first jump into the into into the real world and really got caught by by some awesome people yeah and and you know these days for women to actually move up the ranks um, and move away from those gender stereotypes of the men have the, the chief roles, the men have the more higher executive roles, we're going to have to support each other. It really, you know, everybody sort of falls back on, oh, the man's actually better at that, um, when what we need to do is support each other, help each other to learn and grow and give each other those opportunities to do so. Um, and that's how we're going to find, you know, more female-led, you know, there's more CEOs in Australia called John and there are female CEOs. I mean who but calls their kid the John? <laughs> you know and so that that bothers me and to do so you know it's all about supporting each other and supporting women you know I'm a massive advocate for that so yeah. I love that all so much and in saying so in all of that I mean Coco knows you more than I do but I really want to know how did you empower yourself and motivate yourself? Yep Um, look I think for me um, motivation is about wanting to be at work and caring about what you do so um, if you don't love your job you know and I know there's this great resignation going on at the moment and and I will fully support it if you don't love your job go and find something that you do love because you spend so much time there that it's important that when you spend you know all that time at work you go and you love it Um, and if that's the social sector for me that's sort of a love-hate relationship because I love working in the social sector but it's 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 an exhausting task it's not an easy place to work Um, but um, I guess for me empowerment um, means um, I've, I've done a lot of study in the last little bit and I got to the point in my career where I thought, um, you know, I can stay where I am or I can study and work my way up further. Um, and so the drag of study, um, unfortunately, as an adult, is not much fun, but it certainly empowers you and it builds that knowledge base behind what you're actually already doing. So you go, oh, okay, yeah, so I'm, I'm already doing that at work um, and these are the skills I've already learned and actually that knowledge base just reinforces what I'm doing. So I feel really empowered and that I'm on the right track and that and that for me was a great step um, doing my MBA. Um, but I think motivation um, is about habits, so getting good habits. Um, MBA, you finished that now? Yeah, so I've got a couple of subjects to do this year and I'm almost done. Thank Yay. God. Yay. <laughs> Ugh, can't wait to graduate from that. Um, <laughs> but And sometimes you're just like, can you just give me the sign-off? Because I've already, I do this in my everyday life. So <laughs> So let's yeah, circle yeah. back a bit to your career. So yeah. your earliest job I recall is um, Royal Flying Doctors, but you might go further back than that. How is your career, what does it look like? How's it shaped up? Well, I started, my very first job I started at 14, so I started working really young. Um, my family were just like, if you want to buy stuff like a Nintendo or whatever it was back in the day, I think it was like the first Nintendo that came out. <laughs> 
<laughs> they were like, um, you'll have to save up for it and therefore work on the weekends if you want to. So I tried to balance sport and ice cream scooping. So I was, had a very strong arms from way back in the day. Um, and then, um, yeah, sort of, you know, moved around the world, um, did the usual 20-year-old um, about not really sure what I want to do and ended up in marketing. So I started my um, marketing and comms career with um, SNFL clubs. So I worked for Norwood um, and then I worked for Glenelg. Um, my parents nearly divorced me. My whole family did because we were Glenelg through and through. Um, yeah. And when I started working <laughs> at Norwood, it was it was like I'd actually divorced the family. They were so mad at me. How can you do this? And I was like, it's a job, guys. I can imagine yeah. just a little sly check from your dad coming under the table. You know what? Leave Norwood. It'll yeah. be fine. Yeah, yeah. They, it was when I, when Norwood played Glenelg, it was a win-win situation for me because I could be like, I know the Norwood song, I know the Glenelg song. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I went on, um, I jumped out to the country for a little while after Norwood, a um, bit of a farmer wants a wife thing, except um, the farmer didn't really want the wife and so <laughs> um, he wanted the next girl. He, he said he wouldn't, didn't want to get married and then I was like, okay, well, fine. And then he married the next girl and I was like, I was oh bored. Wow. Um, so yeah in the country I was really lucky to live in the country for a little while and um, work for a winery in their sales and marketing um, and run their cellar door which was just um, awesome and then um, yeah ended back ended up back at Glenelg um, the flying doctors I did three years there working with the community which I just loved which sort of um, transitioned me into the opposite side of the coin with um, the community at REA so I helped um, helped to run the Community Foundation at REA giving out the funds to, to people, which was so fun because who doesn't want to call people and say, oh, we're going to give you $5,000? and like, That's oh. a good side of the table. I mean, you know, I've only ever been on the other side being like, please, sir. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's where I'd come from, Coco. I'd been yeah. like, um, RFDS needs so much money to run these planes, please. And um, <laughs> it was just so fun to go the other way. So, um, yeah, I was at REA for a long time, really enjoyed my time there. Um, and moved up um, and around in the comms department and ended up running the, um, the oh, God, I can't even remember my title. It was pretty long and obnoxious. Uh, I think it was something like strategic planning and digital channels manager, I think. I'd have to look it up. Exactly. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. I loved it. Like I, was, I was really um, grateful to be part of the, the change in REA's um, digital channels and working on um, growing their social media. So, it was a huge uptake. Sort of, we started at REA with a horse calendar when I came along, and there was just like a literal physical calendar that said, like, on today we will post about something, and then the next day with a pencil we'll post about that. And I was like, we might need to, um, you know, look at different ways of doing things. So yeah, we came up with um, a great um, system and structure, and put in a lot of technology and. Um, away it went and then it was like oh no I found myself as a social media manager <laughs> out of here. <laughs> you guys are very brave I was like no thank you <laughs> so yeah um, on to DDF from there um, and um, love doing working with um, homelessness and social causes it was really great to connect with that sort of um, bunch of people and then um, most recently I've been at the Zara Foundation as their um, general manager uh, loving working with women who are recovering from domestic violence and um yeah just putting your heart and soul into these things the end wow. so far the end I don't know where to start that <laughs> you done some amazing things I really do applaud you and how was it going from because at DDF you were our de deputy director and moving into that general manager position how did that yeah. 
kind of happened and how did you find that? Um, look, I think I was sort of, I felt ready for the next step. Um, and I guess looking at the skill set that I'd um, grown at Don Dunstan Foundation, I actually had to grow those skills before I was able to step into that role. So that was how, even though I was the deputy director, I was able to do a lot of board reporting um, mm-hmm. and finances. And that's the sort of stuff you need to sort of really get your head around to step into the, the GM's role. Yeah. Um, and I guess with the changeover of our um, CEO there, I was able to sort of pick up the the organisation and run with it um, until, you know, Richie got his head around things and I was able to support him a lot. So, um, yeah, it, I guess it was just a matter of um, getting that, that those skills up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think if I hadn't have been at Don Dunstan, I definitely wouldn't have been able to slide across from RAA into that other role because yeah. it's a really hands-on role to be the general manager. You've got to have all the balls in the air um, and just sort of work out what's your priority at the time. Um, and really be strong on finances, strong on people management um, and strong on strategy. So, yeah, it's um, I stepped across. Um, I guess the board thought I was, you know, the good choice. <laughs> um, and in the last 12 months, we've had the most successful year um, that the organisation has seen. So I'm really proud to leave that legacy. There. That's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, congratulations. It's always good to pat yourself on the back because not many people will, to be honest. All right. You have to believe in you or no one else will. <laughs> yeah, 100%. So on becoming, you've been a manager a few times in your life and ended up as the general manager of the Zara Foundation. Yeah. So what tips do you have for young women who aspire to become, to move into these kind of roles? Um, firstly, get yourself a mentor. So, um, and, and then people find that really confronting. And I know young people especially can find it confronting to have a conversation and actually put yourself out there and, um, be quite vulnerable and say, um, you know, I think you're really great. Um, how do we, you know, how can I, you know, talk to you once a month or once a, you know, once every six months? But I found bouncing ideas off of someone else was um, who had far greater experience than me was one of the best things I did. So I was lucky enough to, um, well, I'm lucky enough to have a mentor, Sharon Brewer from um, Meals on Wheels. She's the CEO there. And she is a phenomenal uh, female leader in the not-for-profit sector um, and has just really changed that organisation to the powerhouse that it now is. Um, And, you know, the insight that she gives me when I say to her, oh, this is what I'm looking at or this is what I'm thinking, and, you know, she can either help confirm or or change my thinking and say, you know, why don't you think about this? What about that? Or, yep, not great idea or, you know, you're on the right track. Um, Because sometimes, you know, as a boss, as a sort of, I guess, as at RIA, as a mid-level manager, you you know, you've got other managers surrounding you, so you can sort of bounce that off. But once you sort of elevate up to that higher level, it can be a bit of a lonely place. Um, and so to have a mentor um, is really great to bounce those things off of. So that would be one of my tips. Um, two, relationships, relationships, relationships. So go get out there, meet people, um, and then think about how the people that you're meeting can either be introduced to someone else so you can show value in the relationship. So it might be, you know, um, introducing one organisation to another by just doing a joint connection email or something like that. And then it just, um, you know, you start to um, really show value in your connections as well. So I think connections are a really big thing for, um, especially in Adelaide, right? Like, Absolutely, you know, yeah. I pretty much went to school with you or your kid or, you know, your auntie <laughs> or whomever. We, we all went to school together. <laughs> yeah. 
Absolutely. That was one of the things that when we started this business, I went to a lot of networking events and I've joined a networking group. And that's like the number one way that we actually do get business is by meeting people and talking to people. I don't think there's very many that just email you saying, hey, do you want to, <laughs> do you want to no, no, work no. with me? <laughs> Good luck with that. That's, that's, you know, that, if that happens, then uh, tell me your secret because I'd love to know. <laughs> I was actually, um, I was listening to a podcast this morning and it was this exact topic and it was talking about, um, unfortunately, at this day and age, because of COVID, everyone has gotten so comfortable with um, sitting behind a screen. Um, And so I think especially probably not so much our ages, but maybe a little bit younger than us who really have grown up behind a screen, I think might struggle a little bit going out and talking and meeting to people I mean even school you know the first two weeks of school they um got to do zoom they have to go in in to see their their classmate so that I think is the best advice but I think that will be something that younger people right now will definitely struggle with yeah I think um you know practice makes perfect you don't you don't go into a maths class and know how to do pure math when you're in year one right like so it's just a little bit at a time and set small goals. You know, um, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day and I was saying, they were saying how it really overwhelming them and something felt really anxious. And I said, well, can we set a small goal? Like, can we get to Wednesday and we reassess on Wednesday and see how you feel on Wednesday? This was a Monday. Yep, no problem. So, you know, just setting that small goal to get to Wednesday, done, got to Wednesday, no problems. Friday, great. All right, let's do a whole week next time. So even just setting those small goals and um, practice makes perfect. I tell you, I didn't know anything about um, financial bloody balance sheets and all of that before I started learning about it and and doing it and reading them and doing board reports, practice makes perfect. Mm -hmm. Being a manager, having tricky conversations is part of the job description. How do you prepare for these meetings? Um, well, that's how I prepare. I prepare well. Um, as part of my training at RAA, something that they taught me was um, a lot of note-taking. So I'm an actual copious note-taker. Um, and that serves me well when I prepare for these meetings. Um, I, and I would encourage everybody else to note-take. So especially if you're having difficult conversations, it's, it's much better to have the facts right and in front of you um, so that you don't, and if you do get lost, that's okay. Come back to your notes and come back to your fact sheet. So try not to go on the fly um, uh, and have notes, even if it's just a, an A4 piece of paper that you've done dot points on, like here are the three dot points I need to hit in this conversation. Um, and sometimes we get stuck trying to be too nice and and having um, like, oh, look, you know, um, I think, you know, I, I know that you're always um, really committed at work, but you know, you're being a bit late to work and, you know, it's totally fine, but like, you know, so people don't get that. They actually don't get the clear message if you're not being clear and consistent and concise with what you're saying. So write it down, prepare well. That's my advice. Um, then you can say, hey, uh, you know, I totally love that you're in our team. You're a great team player. Um, I've noticed that you're being late at work. Is there anything I can do? Is there anything going on that I can understand why you're being late? If not, let's tidy that up and um, I'd like to see you being here at, you know, 9 o'clock, 8.30, whenever you start. Um, and even if it's, you know, I've had an experience with one of my team um, at RAA when they were actually a bit more of an afternoon or evening person and they just weren't great morning people. And they were consistently late in the morning because I'm a bit, you know, Coco knows I'm quite like, you know what, you're an adult, manage your own time, I don't care. Um, if you get your work done, A-OK. 
but this just we couldn't quite work out when she was going to be in the office um so i said to her right because you know we're having a bit of trouble with you being here at nine or nine thirty or you know whenever um and and starting to miss meetings what i'd love to see is if you just do the late shift how does that work let's try that so you just start at 10 and finish at six every day and i'll start at nine and finish at five and we'll that'll cover that front and end period as a social media person um, our social pages were open until six o'clock so um and that worked a charm she was never late again so really it's just yeah. about having that clear and concise conversation but prepare well mm, that's awesome advice because imagine going to one of those meetings not having all the facts and being like hmm, I think you kind of shop late a few days a week you need to have that set in stone yeah, and and though and you know giving examples like on Monday um, you came in at this time, on Wednesday you came in on this time, and I asked you to be here at this time for that meeting. Um, so I, you know, having all that written down was, um, and you know, there's no need to be rude or mean about it. It's just clear and concise. So how important is work-life balance? What's your hobby? Is what keeps you balanced? Oh, you know what. Um, I've probably been a really poor example of work-life balance in the last couple of years, um, especially the last 12 months. And mm. I ran myself into a bit of a hole and um, Coco knows I've just had a bit of a break. I had two months off work um, and it's been the best thing I ever did. And just to restore those boundaries because I became boundaryless um, and everyone was able to access me at any time. And I was working, you know, weekends, um, 10 to 12 hour days every day. And I just really burnt myself out. And so I don't know if I could have answered this a, a, a month or so ago. I would have been mm. like, I don't have any balance. There is no balance. Would you um, say you have anything to do with the social sector and the not-for-profit sector itself? Um, look, I think it can be any sector. I think the social sector struggles more because we're expected to do everything all the time. Um, and the reason that we do that is because we care so much. Like I care so much about women who are recovering from domestic violence and um, that's really important that the organisation, like, you know, if we don't if we don't fundraise enough, then women don't get support and they don't change their lives. And that's literally yeah. and the that's, bottom line. That's what it is. Yeah. So that I carry that weight around with me personally. And so sometimes you just need to find a, a, a little bit more boundaries. And, and for me, um, you know, I've just had a couple of months off. Um, that's really helped me to refresh and actually realise that by... Um, bluntening my pencil and not keeping it sharp I'm actually not able to write things so it's always my example of like if you, you can't write good sentences with a blunt pencil but if you don't stop and sharpen the pencil and actually take that time to sharpen the pencil you you, you your lead runs out um and I didn't take my own advice <laughs> so I spent a couple of weeks in bed just being like Ugh, I'm exhausted um but now I've started doing things that are really fun I put a few things on my list the first one was adult cheerleading so we are a cheerleader for um, Skybound Elite. Um, we're a um, semi-competitive team. And so I'm a I'm one of the girls at the back that lifts the people because I'm very strong, Coco knows. Um, I lift um, the girls who are doing like the little like cheer hold. Yeah. Hop, <laughs> I lift her up. So um, and hold her and catch her when they fall down. So, so um, I did cheer it in at the start of uni. I was the base. No way. Yeah. Oh, you'll have to show me some more moves because I'm only just learning. <laughs> I only do it for like a season, a year. Do you get cute uniforms? Yeah, well, they're adult appropriate. They're not like little flippy skirts. <laughs> no one wants to see this little skirt. Um, but um, they're, they're fun. They're like super cute. So, um, yeah. 
that has been my fun so far. That's um, great. <laughs> yeah, and I've really taken to baking and um, just preparing meals for people that I love at the moment. So I've been doing a lot of um, protein brownies and like a uh, little like like smooshy, yummy health balls or whatever they are. I never really made them in my life, but now I've just taken to baking them. Zucchini slices I'm making heaps of. Um, so I just find baking for people that I love um, and spending time with them at the moment is something that balances me out. So you were mentioning how food became one of your hobbies. You're saying how food was one of your hobbies, but a while ago you turned your hobby into a competition. Yes. Yes. On a little, (laughs) little, little known show on Channel 7 (laughs) called MKR. Yeah. Yeah, Just, just a little one. Yeah. Yeah. My, and my season happened to be the most dramatic of all seasons where someone got kicked off and then the next season they cancelled it. That's how shitty our season was. Oh my Lord. Now I need to go watch it. Yeah, I mean, oh, look, spoiler alert, it's not really a competition. Like, it's it's all pretty much all made up and um, they set everybody up for failure and um, it's probably one of the most stressful things I've ever done. And if anyone ever wants to go on reality TV, just drop me a line and I'll give you the inside <laughs> scoop so you can actually work your way around the producers who are the devil incarnate themselves. They're psychopaths. And I have no idea how they sleep at night with, with what they do to people. No idea. They're psychos. Yeah, that's crazy. It's like that TV show, and I think it's on Stan, the one where it's about making like The Bachelorette behind the scenes. Yeah. How they're like, I oh, love that show. That That is true, except for the people jumping <laughs> off the roof. Gotcha. But the first episode, I watched the first episode after I came home from this thing, which I should have probably watched it before I went. Um, and even like, you know, in the first episode where they're sitting in the car and they won't let them go and pee? That's what they do to you. They won't. Seriously? They would never let us pee. People would get urinary tract infections because they were not allowed to wee enough. What the hell? We would sit at the dinner parties for fourteen hours. No wonder the food was cold or not great because you're sitting there for fourteen hours. It's also really hard to cook at three a.m. when your mind is like, oh, yeah, filming since God knows the clock. Why does it take fourteen hours for like a two-hour dinner party? Yeah, that's my question. Great question, Coco. Yeah, yeah. Great question. Why? <laughs> because they're psychopaths who need to make one hour of TV every day. So I don't know. It's, but the good yeah. part of this is yeah. your relationship with Food Bank now. Yeah, yeah. So I was, that's actually, you know, one of the greatest things that came out of MKR for me was, one, we got free knives, which was amazing. So now I've got this <laughs> excellent set of knives. I kind of sound like a steak knife ad. Um, and two, um, I was able to become an ambassador for food banks. So for me, um, you know, even just using that little bit of period where people would look at you and be like, oh, that's that girl from TV, um, which was the strangest feeling. Um, I was able to then, you, you know, use that to raise money for food bank by, you know, auctioning myself off, um, you know, doing Insta for them, um, raising awareness of their public fundraising days and their food drives. Um, and so that's just been absolutely, I've, I've loved being able to do that. And um, yeah, I think, you know, good always comes from things that where you put under pressure. Um, yeah. What do they say? Diamonds are made by from pressure. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, resilience and food bank and, and being able to, you know, so many people in Australia still go hungry. They have, you know, it, it frightens me that people don't have access to um, good food and 
So yeah. even if I can help by just raising awareness and and um, saying food bank's name over and over, um, that, then I'm I'm glad that I did MKR. All right, we're coming to the end of sort of the questions. So the last two yeah. are sort of the ones that we ask everyone. Um, yeah. So what have been your fuck ups recently? Ooh. Ooh. Um, How have you learnt from them? Well, I think I've already touched on one was like being fully boundaryless in the last year was a big F up um, and I'm trying not to swear. That's why I'm not saying the word. Gotcha. Because um, I've made, a, made an agreement with my husband at the moment because <laughs> I swear a bit like a sailor. <laughs> so I've tried really hard to be like fork or um, shirt um, and uh, channeling my inner mace, the good place. Um, so good. Words. So, yeah, that was a big F up for me. Like, I, you know, telling people that, you were pretty much burnt out and that, you know, I spent two, two, two months repairing myself is not really easy to say. And it's, it, yeah. You know, people want to know that you're super successful and everything's fine and, you know, you'd say you're fine to anyone. But I think the more that we can talk about this and the more that we can say being boundaryless is not okay. Um, and as a woman, we're givers. We're, we're designed to be these human givers as women. You know, we, we have children. We you know homekeepers we're you know we do we we get paid less we have less super we're reliant on other people to you know financially support us in some way sometimes so um you know to say that you need a rest um and actually do that was you know my fix to my effort um and I'm so glad that I did it um I think that's so great like if more people I think more people than not I've had these moments and have felt like they're done. I Like you obviously came to a big blow and took some time off and really have found yourself again, which is amazing. Mm. I remember mm. before your time at um, DDF going through a bit of a similar moment, I'm sure it's been spoken about a lot. I completely stormed out of the office, bawling my eyes out, couldn't take it anymore, um, yeah. working with a, with a former colleague and was just like, is this is this this what this is is this what it's like because I can't do this yeah yeah yeah. and a very last question how are you keeping social well I saw your little question there when I was having a look at those and I thought I'm actually not being really social online at the moment but I have in the past few months been fully social face to face so I've gone and seen friends that I haven't seen in ages I went surfing with an old colleague yesterday. We went and um, I took her to learn surfing because she's like, let's, I'd love to learn how to surf. And I'm like, well, I've got all the boards, let's go. So um, we did face-to-face social. I've done, um, been, you know, hanging out with my grandma who's down. She's 89. Awesome. um, She's so fun. So I've been really social as a face-to-face hangout social this week. So that's my social. (laughs) All right. Um, Thank you so much, Gemma, for joining us today. I mean, I knew a lot and I learned a lot and thank you for being so vulnerable and open about, about your burnout and how you've come back from that the last year. I really think it's going to help, help a lot of people. So yeah, thank yeah. you. No worries. Hey, listen, if, if I was to um, offer one piece of advice for your listeners, if anyone is in burnout, I read a book that pretty much changed everything I was thinking. Um, it's called Burnout by um, the Nagoski twins, I think. But if you look on Brene Brown's um, podcast, she does one on burnout um, and those two are the the two, they're twins. Um, Those two ladies are the feature and they talk about the book and then I got the book and the book's amazing. So if anyone's struggling with work and like boundaryless and 
that sort of stuff and, and just feeling like you're a bit like I'm um, give, give, give and nothing else, read that book. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you want to know any more information, head to our Instagram at Social Girls Podcast and let us know what you thought. Bye for now.